Morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and uh, get started. Uh, this morning, we start a new series, an uh, eight-week series on the Lord's Prayer. So let's uh, seek our Lord's help uh, in our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this privilege that is ours to come together as uh, your people to study your word. We need your help, Holy Spirit, uh, that you'd illumine your word, help us to learn what it is that you would have us learn and apply to our lives this morning. And may we, by your grace, be doers of your word and not hearers only. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can hear me all right, right? No uh, feedback? Okay, good. All right, so we will uh, be examining the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I appreciate your prayers as I have been preparing for this series. And the Lord has uh, really uh, convicted me of my own uh, inadequacy when it comes to prayer and, and how uh, at times I have not been praying in accordance to his word. So uh, this, uh, my time in preparation has really been a, a time where the Lord has uh, worked in my heart to working in me even now to bring me more, uh, my prayer life to be more in conformity to his holy word. So the Lord's prayer is recorded for us in two uh, gospel accounts. We have the account in Matthew chapter 6, and then we have the second account in Luke chapter 11. Uh, some scholars believe that uh, these two accounts are uh, the Lord's teaching of the, of the same uh, 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 teaching that he had done to his disciples. Others believe that it was two separate teachings, uh, that the Lord did indeed teach his disciples how to pray on two separate occasions. Uh, hence the two narratives. We do, not, we do not know this for sure, but it should not surprise us given the importance of prayer in our Christian life if the Lord did indeed teach his disciples on two separate occasions. Uh, for the purpose of our study, our series, we'll be examining Matthew's account on prayer. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. Oh, by the way, I do have... I outlines. Uh, we will be following the outline closely for during our time. So, so Matthew wrote uh, this uh, uh, teaching or this passage and he uh, wrote his gospel account. Uh, this is the first uh, gospel account on the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a tax collector and he left his profession and became an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. The primary audience of Matthew were ethnic Jews uh, during his time. The central theme of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the promised king in the lineage of David, and he has established his kingdom of righteousness by redeeming his people from their sins by his atoning death. So Christ is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies, institutions, and offices. So following our Lord's temptation in the wilderness, he begins his public ministry. 
we see that in Matthew chapter 4. He started his ministry with the gospel call, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus then begins to teach the people what life in the kingdom of God is like. What are the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom? This teaching is known to us as the Sermon on the Mount, and it encompasses chapters 5 through 7. And within this teaching, our Lord expounds on personal piety. There are three areas of personal piety which our Lord teaches. That is charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. And this is narrated for us in the sixth chapter of Matthew. So in keeping with uh, the context of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, our Lord is teaching his Jewish, Jewish audience and by extension, you and I as covenant people today, that prayer should characterize our lives as citizens of the kingdom. Prayer is part and parcel in the kingdom of, prayer is part and parcel of life in the kingdom of God. So turn with me to Matthew chapter six. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter six, uh, verse one, and verses five through five through eight. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you, what you need before you ask him. So we, uh, we understand that prayer to God, our prayer to God known as the sinner's prayer involving repentance from our sins and believe in Christ for our redemption grants us entrance into his kingdom. So we begin our journey uh, into the uh, kingdom of God through prayer, through sinner's prayer. So we, uh, having begun our journey in, through prayer, we continue our journey in his kingdom through prayer. So let's look at our second point. We see that uh, our Lord begins to, uh, to teach us how not to pray, how not to pray, but he starts in verse, verse one. Uh, in, uh, in Matthew chapter six, verse one, Christ begins by lowing, uh, laying down an overarching governing principle in the area of personal piety in the area of giving, prayer, and fasting. He addresses this, uh, the state of our heart in the practice of personal piety. Christ says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So when we give charitably, uh, pray or fast, what is our intention? 
What is our motive in doing them? Who ultimately is the audience of our personal piety? Now, the fact that Christ teaches us how not to pray in these two specific, uh, specific ways underscores the reality that you and I are very capable of and indeed pray in a manner that is not biblical, that we at times pray in a manner that does not honor God and indeed can be repulsive to him. So what God is teaching here is tantamount to when Yahweh gave the, uh, the Decalogue to uh, his covenant people. Uh, and that underscored the reality that you and I indeed can commit murder, uh, can commit adultery, uh, maybe not in the action itself, but in, certainly in our hearts. So there's a parallel here in what God had taught through the Ten Commandments and what God is teaching us on prayer. The first thing Jesus says is, and when you pray. Notice our Lord does not say, if you pray, but rather when you pray. So prayer is not an option, rather it is a command. It goes without saying that a son of Abraham, a citizen of his heavenly kingdom, prays. He goes on to say, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite or hypocrites was used 13 different times by our Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. Why did he do this? Let's recall uh, who Christ's immediate audience was. There were ethnic Jews uh, living during the time of Jesus. He lived among them. So he was he uses illustrations or uses language that is culturally relatable. And this is one such instance. Uh, the use of the word hypocrite is a readily relate relatable cultural illustration. And its meaning, it comes from ancient theater. It was common to have such theater as a form of public entertainment even during Jesus' day. So a hypocrite was a play actor in the theater. He would wear a certain mask while portraying a, a, a certain role, and he would switch to a different mask while, when portraying a different role. So uh, a hypocrite play acts. He pretends to be someone he is not for the applause of his audience. So Jesus, by using the term hypocrite, is warning the Jews, and by extension, his covenant people, you and I today, to not be pretentious in our prayers. He's in, in effect saying, don't be someone you are not in your prayer before God. Our Lord used this word with great regularity when addressing the religious uh, uh, leaders of his day. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. We'll look at verses 27 through 28. Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28. He's uh, speaking to the religious leaders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and, are, and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but with, within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we must ask ourselves, what causes or motivates the hypocrite to pray? It's simple. He loves the praise of men. 
In his prayer, the hypocrite is seeking his own glory from his hearers. The hypocrite in his prayer is antithetical to the very nature and character of God. This is what Yahweh says of himself. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So we saw uh, what it means to, to pray hypocritically. So let's see what its reward. How is the hypocrite rewarded for his prayer? Jesus goes on to say, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So what is this reward that, uh, that our Lord is referring to here? He's referring to the praise and applause of men which the hypocrite is seeking in his prayer. Note whom the hypocrite does not get his reward from. He does not get his reward from God because God was never his audience. His audience was other, were others in the case of public prayer and his audience was himself in the case of private prayer. Looking back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, uh, we read again, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here is uh, Yahweh's response to the prayer of a hypocrite in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Now, Yahweh is not uh, communicating this through his prophet Isaiah to the Philistines or to the Babylonians. Rather, he is communicating his displeasure, his utter disgust uh, with his covenant people, the nation of Judah, in their hypocrisy in prayers. That brings us, uh, the Lord kind of transitions here, having uh, taught his disciples how not, to pray or, uh, how not to pray, namely hypocritically, he kind of switches gear. He, he begins to teach uh, them and teach us how it is that we have to pray. And he does so in, starting in verse 6. In verse 6 we read, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So when uh, Christ uses the language of go into your room and shut the door, he's not pronouncing an indictment on public prayer. He's not prohibiting public prayer. He practiced public prayer himself. In the presence of his disciples, Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer to his Father in heaven. On the cross, Jesus publicly cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So what does he mean by his statement, Go into your room and shut the door? Uh, his uh, subsequent uh, statement uh, shed some light on that. He says, Pray to your Father in secret. So rather uh, than prohibiting public prayer, Christ is laying a governing principle, a foundational principle for his covenant people as to uh, what our mindset, the state of our hearts should be when we come to him in prayer. He's communicating the idea that prayer is to be a time of private, uh, intimate communion with your father. God alone should be the audience of my prayer. 
be it public or private. So when you are praying in your bedroom or while waiting in line at the grocery store or at our church meeting or our prayer meeting in church, you and I ought to pray with the spirit and mindset of personal intimacy and communion for, uh, with our Father, for his ears only. That is how our Lord Jesus prayed, and that is how he, he is teaching us to pray uh, in this very passage before us. So prayer ought not to be a context for ostentatiousness or public display of piety. Rather, prayer is a personal matter between God and me. Now, uh, our Lord says that there is a reward for such a prayer. There, just as there is a reward for uh, hypocritical prayer, there is a reward uh, for prayer that is done with the mindset of personal intimacy and communion with, with God. He says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So when you and I pray a right to God, he hears me and answers my prayer. David says in Psalm 6, 9, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. So what a reward. God, your Father in heaven, has heard and answered your prayer. He has accepted your prayer. And you and I know, we, we've experienced this in our lives. Our lives are testament to answered prayers. He grants us blessings at times that we did not even seek. seek. Uh, and we've experienced this, we know this, from personal uh, uh, trials, whether it be trials or whatever it is that you're experiencing uh, in, in your life at that time. When King Solomon had asked God for wisdom, God uh, respond, responded back to him saying, I have not only given you wisdom, it had pleased him, so he said, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So God surprises us uh, at times when he grants us not only what we have asked for, but when we have asked for in a manner that honors him, he gives us what we have not asked for as well in terms of, our bless of his blessings upon us. So having uh, talked about the secrecy in our prayers, our Lord returns back and uh, talk, uh, uh, teaches as to how we ought not to pray again. He gives another principle as to how we ought not to pray. And that, that we see in uh, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. This is the... Um, uh, English Standard Version. The New King James Version reads, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So what is, uh, what is our Lord meaning here uh, in, in saying not heaping up empty phrases or as the King James Version says, vain repetitions? Here Jesus is, is saying um, oh, before I, before I get there, when he's referring to Gentiles, he is uh, meaning unbelievers. Uh, and his Jewish audience would readily understand that when, when Jesus had, had used the word Gentiles, he's talking about the unbelieving community 
who are outside of the covenant community of Israel. So a, a great illustration of how unbelievers or the Gentiles pray is found in 1 uh, Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, and this is the great showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Let me see if I can turn to that. And we'll be looking at verses 26 through 29. So the context is um, Elijah has this confrontation with the prophets of Baal to determine once for all who is the true God in Israel. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh? So Elijah asks the prophets of Baal to go first, to pray to their God first. And they took the bull that was given to them, this is verse 26, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no, an no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, uh, cry aloud for he is a god. E either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And as midway passed, midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So there's that illustration for us, but how does it look for us this very day? How, how is it relatable to us modern, modern Christians? Now, we know Catholics in our lives, and the Catholics, they pray the rosary and cry out, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus, Holy Mother of God. Those are the Catholics. That's how they pray in a very uh, uh, repetitious, chanting way. A certain Muslim prayer, and I found this on allislam.org, uh, goes like this, quote, Glory to Allah. All praise belongs to Allah. Allah is the greatest. These three expressions are repeated after finishing Salat. I, I take Salat to be another Muslim prayer. The first two expressions, glory to Allah, all praise belongs to Allah, are said 33 times. And the third expression, Allah is the greatest, should be said 34 times, making a, a grand total of 100 in all. And the, the prayer beads or fingers may be used to keep count. End quote. So we get the idea. So what recourse do unbelievers have other than vain repetitions when they pray to a God of their own making? Now, thankfully, by the grace of God, we covenant people don't pray to the rosary, uh, Mary, or cry out to God, to Allah. All praise belongs to Allah 33 times in our prayer closets. So how are we guilty of doing this, uh, uh, or of praying in a repetitious manner, or uh, using vain, vain words when we pray? Samuel Miller, uh, in his book, Thoughts on Public Prayer, shed, shed some light on this. He was a Presbyterian minister in the uh, mid-18th century. He says, quote, 
Uh, a very common fault is the over-frequent recurrence of favorite words, however unexceptionable in themselves. Among these are the constant repetition in every sentence or two of the names and titles of God, the perpetual recurrence of the modes of expression, O God, Great God, our Heavenly Father, or the excessive use of the interjection, O, prefixed to every, almost every sentence. Now, if the constant repetition of the name of, of the Most High, even in prayer, be not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain, it certainly approaches very near to that sin, end quote. Another thing that we have to keep in mind um, when, we're, when we're understanding the vain repetitions or um, uh, various phrases that are used in our prayers, uh, that of unbelievers, it, they come with the understanding, the unbelievers come, unbeliever comes with the understanding that the efficacy or the effectiveness of his prayer depends on how much praying they're doing. Uh, the verbosity, verbosity of the words that they're using and the vehemence or the passion with, with which they pray. That is somehow going to work uh, the God that they're praying to over and get that God to answer their prayer. So they're focused on how they pray, the manner, the amount of words, the volume, because the prayer being prayed is not, not, is not dependent on their God, but rather is dependent on themselves, on their own efforts. We must ask ourselves as his covenant people, are we praying in our own strength and effort, or are we being led by the Holy Spirit? And we get the idea here. You and I take great care in our choice of words, in our conversation with one another. We're equally concerned uh, with our tone and our mannerisms when we have such conversa conversations with each other. So how much more care should we take uh, in our prayers before our great God in heaven? So there is another way whereby uh, there is similarity between the way uh, uh, we uh, end up sinning in our prayers at times and uh, uh, with the prayer of the un unbeliever. There is the element of unbelief or doubt in our prayers. At times we get overwhelmed and discouraged by the enormity of our, of our circumstances, be it the trials or afflictions in our lives. We get influenced by the worldview and the culture that surrounds us and Satan uses these, uh, uses these things to deceive us. So our deception, uh, causes us to count to to doubt God's goodness his provision and his sovereignty in uh, in meeting our needs in answering our prayers so at times when we pray we come to our God uh, uh, with with doubt and with discouragement and fear and uh, we have to guard our hearts against that and that is what James is talking about in James chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 uh, when he's uh, talking about prayers in the context of, of trials and afflictions in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Uh, 
I'll, I'll start with five, actually. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So again, this, this epistle is not written to unbelievers, but rather to the saints, uh, the 12 t- tribes in the dis- dispersion, and by extension, all of God's community throughout human history. So there is a warning for us, a fence for us, if you will, in, in our private prayer and public prayer before God. Um, so what is the purpose of prayer? That is a point number four. Uh, our Lord Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we believe that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So we ask ourselves, if God already knows, knows me and all my needs before I even ask him, why do I need to pray? One, we pray because God has commanded us to pray. And prayer, he commanded us to pray because prayer changes us. It is not meant to change God. It is mean, meant, meant to change you and I and bring our will in conformity to his holy will. And the primary purpose of prayer, as we will examine in the coming weeks, is worship. Primary purpose of prayer is worship. Uh, at times, we tend to go to our Lord for, with our petitions right away. There is a time and place for that, but worship is our primary purpose. And it has pleased our sovereign God to use the prayers of his children to accomplish his purposes in our lives and in the lives of others. And we shall, um, the, uh, the use of the word Father, we shall examine that uh, later on. Uh, I know that he uses the word Father uh, early, earlier on in Sermon on the Mount, but that will be uh, our focus in the next lesson. So having learned how not to pray, that is uh, to pray in a hypocritical manner and not to pray as the unbelievers in using uh, empty phrases and v- vain repetitious words, uh, how, how do we go about not praying as such? And I have a couple of uh, points of application for this. And the first point is repentance. We have to come to face with ourselves, have God do his work in us, acknowledge our sinfulness in our prayer life and God's help in humility. We first need to come clean before God with the halitosis, as Pastor Tim likes to, likes to use that word, the halitosis of our, word, of our soul, our self-righteousness every time we come before him in prayer. Uh, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. And our Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice how God 
Jesus uses the word justified. It, in effect, is saying uh, that this man, his prayer is not just answered, but he is, a, he is answered because he is a son of Abraham. He is a child of God because he comes to me in repentance with the right perspective, with the right state of heart, understanding his need of my divine, divine intervention in his life. John Owen, in his book, The Spirit and the Church, says, quote, If we are to pray aright, we need a knowledge of and a due sense of the depravity of our nature and, and our need to be delivered from it. It is the work of the Spirit of God alone to give a spiritual insight into these things. And without this, I cannot see how men can pray, end quote. So our second point is that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us with our weaknesses in prayer. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. So it is the Holy Spirit that applies Christ's work of redemption uh, to our hearts, and it is the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee, who has sealed us for the, for the full day of redemption when we are finally glorified. So it is the Holy Spirit that will help us in our journey and our sanctification, specifically in this regard in our prayer life. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what is, uh, again, surmising what is the root of our problem in our prayer life uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones has this to say, the essence of the biblical teaching on sin is that it is essentially a disposition. It is a state of heart. I suppose we can sum it up by saying that sin is ultimately self-worship and self-adulation. And our Lord shows what to me is an alarming and terrifying thing, that this tendency on my part to self-adulation is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. And this is where we need to seek the Holy Spirit for our help. Uh, because in our personal worship, in our personal piety, in our prayer before God, we tend to be self-focused. We tend to be idolatrous in that very, uh, in that very area. John Owen says, when the mind and heart are continually filled with the things that God has prepared for those that love him, they will never lack matter for prayer. And we will examine greater, greater detail. What is John Owen uh, saying here? He is in effect saying that we have been given the word of God, and the word of God will be the manual uh, that will give us the, the words uh, that we ought to, uh, to pray to God with in worship. And we will examine that in greater detail in the coming week. In the coming weeks. Now, I thought uh, as I was uh, doing my final draft last night, 
I thought I wouldn't have time for questions. That's why I didn't uh, have any questions on your handout, but I do have a few minutes for questions. I have two questions um, I would like for us to, uh, to discuss or share your thoughts on. The first question is, um, Martin Lord Jones, he, has, uh, he said this about the church when it comes to private and public prayer. The church has become polished and polite and dignified, and the supposed worshipers were unconsciously occupied with themselves and forgetful that they were in communion with the living God, end quote. So he's arguing that uh, the church has adopted or has evolved into having such a state of heart in our prayer life, and that has impacted the church at large, not just the individual believer, but the corporate church, and it has led to a spiritual decline in evangelical, evangelical Christianity. So do you agree or disagree with uh, what Dr. Jones has to say here, and if so, why? Yes, uh, just wait for the uh, mic. His, uh, Joshua's going to get the mic across to you. Thank you. Well, I, I think we can observe that <clears throat> in any organization in the church, too, we can fall into... Um, a sense of where everything becomes uh, too, we, we, we become too accustomed to it. It becomes uh, normal. And we fall into a, a pattern of falling in line with uh, maybe superficial, superficiality. We, we, we just go with the form. I think that's a human nature trait. You can see it in, I mean, how many times in school did we sit there in school and daydream and didn't care what the teacher was saying? And we just went through it. We leave. Uh, your mom. You get home, and your mom says, "What'd you learn in school? Nothing." <laughs> and my mom would say, "What's going on over there?" So you know that's kind of how that works. And I, you know, I think we certainly I am, and I'm certain most of us are guilty of of that. It's just human nature, and therefore we have to have good lessons on the Lord's Prayer. So thank you. Welcome. Thank you for the comment. And also, I would like to say, we operate under fear of punishment and hope of reward. We're always doing something to save our own selves. And um, it's a good topic, but we do. I mean, our prayers and everything else, because that's what we are. We're, we're saint and sinner at the same time. And um, it's fear of that punishment which we've already been declared innocent because of what Christ has done, but we still we still try to justify ourselves. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to uh, add that I was reminded of um, teaching our children how to pray, and there are so many times when one of my children wants to pray and then uh, at the end of the prayer he'll ask did I do a good job you know did I so it's often and it, it's such a reflection of myself yet at the same time I am encouraged that he's praying and that he's learning and and I try to apply that to myself too like 
it's rigged with sin, but not praying is not an option, you know. And so I guess we pray and then repent of our prayers. Thank you. Thanks, honey. Any other thoughts on that? I have one more question here. What has been a hindrance in your private prayer life? Um, That's question number one. It's a two-part question, naturally. And what has been an aid in your private prayer life, if uh, any of you would care to share? So this kind of piggybacks on uh, what Reno was saying. With 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 our kids, um, they're kind of competitive about who's going to pray first or whatnot at the table. And um, I know for me, I've been working with Guy on um, creating like a structure because it's really easy to get into prayer and immediately go right into what you need. Um, that's probably been the biggest thing for me in my private prayer life. I just immediately go right to God about what I need. Um, and I, my son's a really good, um, I guess, indicator of healthy prayer and modeling. And so it's what he does. And I think it's probably common among many people to just get into what they want. Um, but with Guy, we've been working on stuff just kind of uh, being grateful first and then um, being repentant about things that we might know that we you know, just aren't doing good at in life. And then, and then following up with like a request. Um, and, uh, that kind of came from the idea that God is our father and he's, he, he loves us more than we love our own children. And as a father, uh, and I love my, my son and my daughter very much. Um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the order in which is pleasing to me is when my children kind of recognize what they have first, um, like gratitude, and then um, kind of saying like maybe what like they're sorry about or what maybe they're uh, regretful for, if that's even the case, before they get into the like, I want more kind of thing. I want more of this. Uh, so that's just kind of just personal, like what we've been kind of going through, what I go through uh, as far as private prayer life goes, like immediately want to get into my own wants and needs, um, but I'm trying to model something and create something that is more about glorifying God, like recognizing who he is, how we really have more than we need, that we really do work out of abundance, that we live out of abundance from the cross, and that um, our life is actually pretty darn good. <laughs> it's actually better than we realize, but we have these, like, you know, sometimes not, not so petty problems, but real problems, but we really ought to work from a place of gratitude and repentance before we start requesting. Amen. Um, Great comments. Thank you. They, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I struggle with is finding the balance between banging on the door of heaven and asking for things over and over again, trusting that God wants to hear and having that not be repetitive as well and actually going through and meaning what I'm saying as opposed to I'm just doing this again because it's what I do. Um, and something that I found extremely helpful, two things is one, when I, we were little, my dad, when he would teach Sunday school, would say, all right, everyone has a prayer request or a praise. You can have both, but you better have a praise because even if you don't have anything to ask for, 
you have something to be grateful for. And the fact that you're here in this church this morning is the first thing, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so remembering that, that there, there's always something to praise and mm -hmm. be thankful for no matter what. And um, the other thing that's been a kind of like having a mentor take my hand and walk me through has been the Valley of Vision prayer book. Um, I'm just amazed over and over again at the depth of those prayers. And when I look at those prayers, I think, wow. <laughs> Compared to what I naturally come up with, this is like poetry. And so using those prayers not as a, not as something wrote, not as something to cheat, but as something to guide me and to be, to be okay. And same thing with the Psalms, to, to pray other people's prayers um, understanding that they, again, not, not, to, not to do it in a rote fashion, but mm -hmm. understanding that this is like having a teacher take my hand and show me how to talk to God in a way that honors him because people before us have, have come up with such beautiful ways to talk to God that I can learn from. Amen. Good comments. All right, last comment. Okay. <laughs> um, so we went to the leadership training in Atlanta this spring, and one thing that was very valuable about examining your prayer life um, was a resource from Paracle, I, I probably said that wrong, but a PCA um, group. And it was fruit to root, and then root to fruit. And the fruit going down the trunk of the tree was examining your the bad fruit. So what do others um, see and what do you need to repent of basically? And then going down the root or down the tree trunk and looking at the um, soil that all that is cultivated in and going all the way down to the root of unbelief and trust and repenting of that and then going back up the trunk on the other side um, and looking at how God is redeeming the soil that your prayer life is in and that your life is, you know, the sanctification process up to the fruit where the fruits of the spirit that people will. So going from examining what people see down and then back up to what the goal is, right? So that helped me in my prayer life, or it's helping. Thank you guys for uh, all those good comments. And it'll be a great segue as we... Uh, the next couple of lessons we will look at adoration and the, the relationship that we have with our father in heaven that allows us to pray so let's uh let's pray and end our time dear god i thank you again for this time that we could examine your word on how not to pray oh holy spirit that you would continue to um, work these truths in our hearts and that we would repent um, of our errors in our prayers um, in private and public continue to prepare our hearts for worship we pray and ask all these things in jesus name amen